0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Sliving with Sickle Cell podcast. My name is Barbara Biosa and I am a sickle cell warrior, CEO and fashion designer of luxury women's wear clothing brand Duma and founder of the Gideon's Treasure Foundation and I am your host today. From the Queen Paris Hilton, sliving means slaying and living your best life. We all deserve to do this. I'm here to bring you all the fabulous tales, the struggles, and the triumphs of living with sickle cell anemia and running a business with a disability. There has been many highs and many lows, but I think it's important to share your stories and journey. We will be discussing some important topics and inviting some amazing guest speakers to share their experiences and their journey. This podcast is dedicated to help spread awareness of sickle cell anemia, uplift and build a community of ambitious people who may have a physical or emotional challenges that make being an entrepreneur or following your dreams that much harder. Hey everyone, I'm here today with the incredible Wumi Bakare and I'm so excited to hear her incredible
1: journey. Um,
0: Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today?
1: Doing really well. Thank you for even considering me for your podcast. This is incredibly kind and gracious. Thank you. Ah,
0: thank you. I'm so excited. You're doing some amazing work. Let's start by telling me you about your yourself, your background, and your experience with Sickle Cell.
1: Sure. So, um, as she mentioned, I'm Wumi Bakare. I am thirty-five. I will be thirty-six next month. Um, I'm proud of my age now, so I'm I'm highlighting that. Yeah. Um, yeah, But born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria, came to the U.S. um, at the age of 16 for undergrad Mm -hmm. um, and was diagnosed with sickle cell HBSS, which is the most severe type of sickle cell disease at 18 months in Nigeria. Um, Um, So I came, yeah, so I came to the U.S. Initially, my plan was to cure sickle cell disease. Um, So I came as a pre-med student. Mm -hmm. And my story is kind of unique in the sense that um, up until my junior year of college, I was Mm pre-med. And then my health did wouldn't let me be great. I'll just be honest. Sickle cell, I think during those transition years, when you kind of go from pediatric care to adult care, um, plus a changing environment, Nigeria was all I knew. All of a sudden I'm in Texas, I'm introduced to a new culture, new food, new way to live. I think all of those things kind of impacted my health. And so I had to take pre-med off the table because realistically speaking, with the amount of time and work commitment it was. It just became incredibly tasking for me. So yeah. I kind of went back to the drawing board. Keep in mind, I'm telling you this short and short and sweet. But when it was happening mm-hmm. in real real time, it was not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> Trying to kind of figure out what do I do next. If medicine is not my way, yeah. um, it's not my career. Then where do I go? And so I pivoted into. I knew I was always good at like branding and advertising Mm -hmm. and writing but I didn't really know what kind of career I could make out of it and then I discovered PR and Mm -hmm. I always say PR is if advertising marketing and journalism had sex their baby would be PR Um, and so yeah Mm -hmm. and so I've been in PR now for 15 years Mm -hmm. Um, I can't see myself doing anything else Uh, I've kind of About 11 years ago, I created my own PR agency. And that was because at the time I had left a job in Chicago working with an agency. And I said, let me go back to my home country of Lagos. Mm -hmm. All of my friends were going back home at the time. Things were thriving in Nigeria, not what they are today. And so I moved back and... My first job was with a a magazine. Mm -hmm. And from there, I decided, let me get into the entertainment. At the time, Afrobeats isn't what it is today. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your favorite musicians started off as my clientele way back when. And so since then, I've been in PR. Yeah. And so now I've transitioned to healthcare PR, which is interesting because now I'm marrying two things that were always intrinsically part of me, mm-hmm. which is my love for healthcare and the sciences and also my love for writing.
0: That's incredible. And I love that. And so, PR is a, it's a very impactful um, career as well, especially for someone like me who comes from a creative background like fashion you need PR in most businesses in in order to succeed so that's really amazing and going back to the beginning when you came to the US because of your sickle cell or was it just a, a change from your family moving atmospheres?
1: No, I think um, at the time when I graduated, which was two thousand and three, I mm-hmm. think universities in Nigeria weren't getting a good reputation because of the strikes, okay. and so my parents had always known that we wanted her to get an education, a higher education abroad, mm-hmm. just because yeah. she'd have a global perspective and it teach her really the know how. I think yeah. in Nigeria, our education system has been fractured over the years, so it wasn't really sickle cell, but it was more career oriented and what her future is going to look like. And then
0: tell me, so what were some of the challenges you faced like growing up with civil cell? Was there anything that kind of impacted? Because I know you touched point on how you wanted to do pre-med and then kind of the schedule was kind yeah. of too hectic. So could you go more into detail and, with that and see?
1: Sure. Um, I think having sickle cell in a country like like Nigeria is chaotic, to say the least. And that's because even though we have one of the highest patient populations in the world, Mm -hmm. um, our medical infrastructure does not exist. So for me, for as far as I knew, I've been having crises since I was probably age two. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so over the years um, at age seven, I had to be taken out of school because I had something called a salmonella infection. So it was, it was feeding on both bones in my arm. So I had to have bilateral arm surgery. Um, So I've just had different things over the course of my life that has just kind of exacerbated my sickle cell diagnosis. As I Mm -hmm. always say, for many people, sickle cell isn't actually what kills them or limits them. It's more the complications from sickle cell disease. And that was kind of um, that was, you know, majorly highlighted during that time of my life. Mm -hmm. But I was very blessed in the sense that um, even though our medical infrastructure is unstable and in some areas doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. my pediatrician was also my aunt. She was related oh, to me. Gosh. And so I think her commitment, yeah, as a doctor was kind of next level because for her, there was also blood involved yeah. um, in terms of she was a blood relative. relative. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now today she's one of the pioneers of like sickle cell disease and right. research mm-hmm. for pediatric patients in Nigeria. So I'm incredible, yeah. incredibly blessed that mm-hmm. she was yeah. my doctor. But more importantly, I think I wouldn't have lived to the age I am today without that woman.
0: Oh my God, that's amazing. And I feel like that definitely... Having somebody that's so knowledgeable, that's close to you as a family member does really make an impact in your, you know, kind of management of your sickle cell. And I think that's so important. Another thing I wanted to um, touch point is with, so I've heard of like how the healthcare in Nigeria can be kind of like really bad or non-existent. Do you think there's more stigma in Nigeria than there is US, UK around the world? Because I know there's a lot of stigma towards like, because it mostly affects people from African, Caribbean and you would think, oh, in Nigeria, because everyone is mainly African, that it would be more, um, I don't know, celebrated, accepted. But in the sense, it's still got like a huge stigma there.
1: I think that the health-related stigmatization to me in Nigeria is probably higher than the UK and the US, mm-hmm. <laughs> primarily because as Nigerians, we fear what we don't know. Right? Yeah. Um, if we don't really understand something, our innate um, response to it is oh my god the uh, blood of jesus right we're a very yeah. christian culture it's true and so i think with sickle cell um people they hear things mm-hmm. but they haven't really gone on their own to venture into wanting to understand it better I, you know yeah. I, I share this uh statistic all the time one in four people in nigeria have sickle cell trait. Wow. Think of that one in four. That's a significant number. There would be no sickle cell if two trait carriers didn't get married mm-hmm. and decide to reproduce. So for a country where we have that high of a statistic, you would think that we would be kind of first and foremost in learning yeah, some of the more nuances and yeah. complexities of sickle cell disease. But that's not the case. Instead, we treat sickle cell patients. We label them something that's called CICLA, which is yeah. a term that I will never, ever like. Because yeah. for me, I always say, when you call me in stickler, I correlate it with like the N-word. It's not yeah, something yeah. I'm proud for someone yeah. to call me or to label someone else because it's it's very condescending in the way and the manner in which that word is used is quite condescending to sickle cell patients. And I think people just judge what they don't know. They see you as an egg. They, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of sickle cell patients that I've met, including myself, you'll want to play sports. And as soon as they know your diagnosis, they take you out. Even when you're employ- um, applying for job opportunities, you don't say you have sickle cell disease because you know they're not going to cater to the unique disability that you have because it's something they can't necessarily see so I think if we're talking about hair related stigmatization we can go on and on but in Nigeria something has got to change because a lot of our leadership have sickle cell kids who are being raised abroad and so I I can never quite get my head around why we still stigmatize people who have sickle cell today. It's
0: so true and I didn't even realize that the the rate was so high like one in four that have trait and that's a a huge issue because that is a big prevention if people knew they could really kind of prevent people more people being born with sickle cell and hopefully like in the future eliminate it in that sense so how would you say that you were able to overcome your challenges like growing up with sickle cell and being able to become like where you are now and be successful and be able to manage your sickle cell well
1: Um, I think for me, I I credit my parents. Um, I have a mom who never raised me to see my limitations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She never raised me with a soft hand of saying, you know, because you were sick or you missed school for a week, I'm not going to have the same high expectations the way I would if you weren't born with sickle cell disease. So I credit all of my success to my mom really raising me to not see life without any limitations. Yes, it might take me a bit longer to achieve things that my peers are achieving, but that doesn't necessarily. Made. And I think for a lot of sickle cell patients over the course of our lives, we've been told you won't make it to live this long. Yeah. You can't do this. So we constantly feel that need to prove I'm enough. Yeah. If you tell me I can't, it's going to like a fire. I need <laughs> to even be more resilient. Yeah. Exactly. Because everybody's telling you out, right? Yeah. So I think I, I'm incredibly blessed that I have that foundation of yeah. a family. And I think my personality is one where I've always done this before you even remotely pick on me. I've thought of so many things I can pick on you with. That's always, so my, my gift of the gap has always been my, uh, strength, my superpower. Yeah yeah I'm always ready like before you say anything oh I have a lot of things in my mind that are ruminating and so because of that I think my ability to survive was next level because even though I went to uh, Quinn's college which is like an all-girls school it's pretty popular I you know girls can be very catty and mean oh, yeah. and so for me I was like oh God, like, I'm I got this, this. <laughs> it's
0: good but I think it's important you've got to have thick skin especially with a health condition especially that it's not visible and then there's so much issues stigma and stuff like that towards it because at one point like you said it could be maybe people are not expecting you to do sports or to do this or do or Live this long, and then the the other side, it's like you're almost like, well, I can do these things. So it's like that motivation that you have that I'm not different. I can do things. I know, like I'm not completely limited. And I think it's just understanding what things that you know that your body can handle, and finding other ways to kind of succeed. And and yeah, so I feel like for me, it's always been kind of a motivating, in a sense, to be like, I can still achieve, and I can still do great things. And I love what you said about like, it may not be the same time as your peers, because that's also important. And then I think it's also just for me, it's like my lane, like I'm doing things on my lane. I'm in competition with myself. It's not about like what other people are doing, because, you know, like you have your own struggles that you're dealing with that other people might not understand as well. And I think that's also powerful. So how have you been able to build a successful public relations agency
1: whilst facing some of these challenges So I think um <sighs> My career in PR is very different from the the most you'll hear, right? I started uh, with an agency background, and mm-hmm. when I started my agency, I had no clue what I was doing. I did not have a, I had a business uh, administration minor, mm-hmm. but I did not have like a college degree in business, and I made a lot of mistakes. But I think with mistakes comes growth, right? Yeah. You can't really grow if you're not learning anything new. Mm-hmm. But what Sickle Cell did was. In my early career, when I was in entertainment, you know, I'd be on tour with like Kid and David O and T.O. Savage. And the reality was I was blessed that I was in my 20s. So mm-hmm. things that my body, when I'm in my 30s and my body is like, girl, take it easy. I could do them easily when I was in my 20s. Right. But I think what then happened is success, 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 success. Mm -hmm. And then I got to my mid 20s, like 25 to 28, where I started to notice that the more tours I was going to Mm -hmm. traveling all over the country, going across different regions, and then going to the UK for touring, what I started to realize was my body adjusting to the altitude, the change in weather, all of those things became triggers for me. So what I then had to do was make a Make a core decision of, realistically speaking, in the grand scheme of things, I cannot manage sickle cell and continue to tour life. Mm. So I had to pick. OK. And so yeah. instead, I kind of chose to work on more of the back end stuff mm-hmm. as opposed to and then have like a road manager or someone else that, would, that was yeah. a member of my staff that could go on these tours with these celebrities because I recognized I just couldn't do those things. Right. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is, I think when you are a sickle cell warrior, the one of the greatest gifts that we have is our ability to adapt. Yeah, and so for me, I'm quite skilled. At being able to pivot and adapt, like during the pandemic, everyone was like, "Oh my God, we have to wear masks, we have to be safe." And for sickle cell patients, we were like, "We can make a hospital room our our our, our uh, work desk. We can do amazing things. Like we know how to adapt very quickly." And so for me. Yeah, I was like that was my strong so I was like I know people who are getting an exchange blood transfusion and they're still answering work emails who would never notice they were missing, right? Yeah. Uh, so the reality is I think for me it supported my career because it 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 means I'm able to work on the road and that's just yeah. because my whole life I'm be, I've been groomed to, to go on the path less traveled. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's such an an amazing point. And I think every warrior will kind of understand it because like, especially with like the lockdown thing of how like the isolation thing or not being able to go. And we've had, we've experienced that of school, missing time off school having to work from home or doing stuff on the hospital. So it's like that adaptability. And also for me personally, I feel like it's also made me very independent and I feel like, I can go anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. work somewhere and be able to manage and adapt. So that's such, that's such a yes. great point of in being like very adaptable and that you can always find like there's some positives within the negatives because there, there is a lot of negatives. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's quite highlighted a lot. Like, you know, the pain and everything, but there are some kind of positive things that really build character within people and yes. um, us warriors. And, and I think that's amazing. So you partnered with We Go Help and the cure sickle cell disease initiative um, to create the diary of the sickle cell prodigy which is really cool i've been following the instagram page and everything and i love like the cool reels and the interesting things that you're doing and the content series um so how do you think your passion of creating plays a role in the recovery of your sickle cell management
1: (sighs) I think for me, uh, being in the creative industry is cathartic because it gives me an opportunity to express myself in a way that's uniquely mine. Mm-hmm. Um, Partnering with we Go Health made sense for me because at the time, I mean, now they're called the Social Health Network. It was like a Facebook uh, group for people with rare diseases and chronic illnesses globally. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I under- understood these people in a way that we didn't necessarily need to speak, but we knew ourselves because we knew what it, what life is with an invisible disability that people can necessarily diagnose just from looking at you. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was important to do those things and highlight. of physical health product, she was really born out of a need nice. um, the hip hop duo Mob Deep one of their members passed away, his name was Prodigy. And so during that time, I remember a lot of us patient advocates, we got on one large Zoom call and we said, how can we honor his legacy of being a public facing rapper who highlighted how sickle cell disease is really impacting communities of color. And I said, why don't we create a hashtag? Kind of like the way there was like hashtag ALS challenge. Why don't we create Sickle Cell Prodigy? And we show the world how even with sickle cell disease, we are child prodigies. A lot of us are doing things. We are independent from probably age seven or eight. A lot of yeah. people know what it is like to be in a hospital to yeah. advocate for themselves. Yeah. So why not honor and celebrate ourselves instead of looking at sickle cell from the lens of feel sorry for me. I'm in pain a lot. This yeah. affects Black people. Yeah. Why don't we celebrate our ability to thrive with sickle cell and say, no, 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 no. I have sickle cell, sickle cell doesn't have me, yeah. but more importantly, I'm doing things that expectations were always put before me that I would never be able to do. And this is me living and thriving with this disease. And so yeah. that's how Diary of a Sickle Cell Prodigy was born. And what makes me love it so much is because now I think we've been using warrior for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of warrior is it shows resilience, but warrior is also correlated with aggressiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Because what does a warrior do? They fight. Yeah. And so for me, I wanted Mm. to rename that as opposed to say, yes, we are warriors, put some respect on our name, Yeah. but we're also part of our own right, right? Because I think a lot of times, let's not play into the narrative that societal people have set. Societal standards have set for us of like, you know, Black people, they're aggressive, they're this. Mm-hmm. Why not rename it and say hashtag sickle cell prodigy? It's something that m- makes you take a second look and say, like, I want to get to know this person and see what makes them uniquely yeah. them. And I think that was how that was born. So for me, I think I always say because I come from a PR background and I have a background mm-hmm. of pre-med and then I also have the lived experience of sickle cell disease, I see the world in a way absolutely no one else does. And that's my yes. unique uh, value add. Yeah. That's that's what makes my voice different from everyone yeah. else's. Yeah. So even in the way I, I leverage social media, I always mm-hmm. do it in a way where from an outsider looking in, you can say, she gets it. Yeah. Or... Yeah. In her content, she's doing it in a way where it's intelligent, it's Mm -hmm. following a trend, but it's a way in which you stop and think and say, She's taken this trend but made it something that fits with the sickle cell narrative. Yeah, so that people Mm who on a normal basis wouldn't have learned a thing or two about the disease, they're coming for the content but they're staying for the information. Yeah, and I think for me. Um yeah it's taken us time to find our dna but i think now we we're at our sweet spot yeah no and i absolutely love it and what you said about like b- drawing the
0: people in with kind of the trends really does work because nowadays yeah. like on social media people are so addicted to kind of like i know you have like some funny reels as well but it has actual information about sickle cell which is so good because if those stuff are going viral and people are seeing it because I feel like with sickle cell a lot of times it always felt like the only people really advocating and the only people really doing stuff were people with sickle cell and then people who don't have it or don't know anyone they're kind of like oh this has nothing to do with me but using social media and PR as a way of like getting people who may not know someone because you never know at work like you can actually have someone you have sickle cell who just hasn't told you because it's not a visible disease. And that's happened a lot with me, like within fashion and not really knowing other people with sickle cell in fashion and then trying to explain it and people never getting it because they're like, I've never heard of it. You look fine and all these kind of things. So it's so good to use social media because pretty much everyone's living on their phones right now. (laughs) So it's such a good platform and I I enjoy seeing the reels and the content and stuff like that. I think it really really, um, is making an impact. And so right now, would you say, because this is a, it's a bit personal, but it's just knowing, like, I always like to know, like, what kind of management are you doing right now? Do you have regular crises? Is yours kind of under control? Or kind of how is your sickle so cell? Are you at the stage where you kind of understand your body and you're able to just, you know, get on with your stuff, get on with life and or. So I I
1: didn't mention this earlier, but I think it's pivotal that I mentioned this Mm -hmm. is I participated in a stem cell transplant four years ago so wow. technically I no longer have sickle cell disease wow. but I say that with a bit of a caveat right because <laughs> even though I participated in a curative therapy it wasn't a bibbidi bobbity boo where it was a magic wand and I was healed and nothing else in the future <laughs> in the realm of sickle cell is going to come my way that's not true that's why I always I'm very mm-hmm. careful with people and I say please don't call a transplant or a gene therapy, a cure. It's not a cure. It's a curative okay. therapy. Everything mm-hmm. doesn't change. So for me, I had mine done when I was 32. Um, and the reality of the situation is my body has suffered a lot of damage from having sickle cell over three decades, right? My bones, my muscles, um, my veins, my organs, a lot of stuff yeah. has happened over the course of my life. So I participated in the transplant because I was at a point in my life where I genuinely told God, I don't want to live past 30. I I just don't like, I don't want to be that mom who has a crisis. And then my child Mm -hmm. is being brought home from school and their dad is bringing them to me and they're seeing me go through the throes of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I always say my miracle story is that four days to my 30th birthday was when I found out my brother was going to be my donor, was a match. So yeah. So if God ever wanted to give me a sign, that was the biggest neon sign he could have given me because my care was always with me and had a front row seat to all of my worst painful crises my whole life. Oh my right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. And so, <laughs>
1: wow that's yeah. So um, that was really, you know, I, 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 a transplant transforms mm-hmm. you in every way possible. But I think it's one of the things I want people to know is this is... Um, when you have sickle cell, a lot of the stuff that's going on is physical health. When you participate in the transplant, mm-hmm. yes. this, your mental health is really where you have to do the hard work. Because for wow. me, my body has been doing the same thing for 30 years. Now, only okay. four years, you're expecting it to do something different, make it make sense. The math ain't math, ain't. Wow. you know? And what I always explain to people is I use this analogy. I said, if a woman, her name's been Mrs. White for 30 years, she's married and her husband dies. If someone calls her Mrs. White, she's still going to respond. Right. Because that's the name she's gone by. That's her identity. Yeah. So for me, I always share with people that even though I'm post-transplant, I still deal with chronic pain. It's just not to the level. Of of occlusive crises like my peers who have sickle cell disease deal with. Mm -hmm. Also, all of the damage that my body has faced, they will not get worse. So the avascular necrosis of the hip, it's not going to get worse. But now I'm doing physical therapy, so I'm better. So I have more tools in my toolbox to take care of the pain when it does happen. So now I'm in a good place where. I think it took me about two years to really feel like myself after transplant, but now me and my body are becoming friends. We were just a relative. Yeah.
0: So, um, in terms of, so you were diagnosed with a vascular crisis before the, um, the stem yes, cell transplant. And, and so now that you've had it, it, you don't have to do the surgery because I know a lot of people have to do like the hip replacement, but because now you've done the yes. treatment, it kind of stopped. It from damaging yeah, it's not yeah.
1: any further damage from yeah, happening. Okay. So for me, yeah, it's yeah. important to me that um I've for me personally, I want to push my uh hip replacement as far back as I can because I do want to have children. Okay. And I don't yeah. know why, but I've always wanted to know what it feels like to push. Um yeah. and so for me, the reality is like as a woman, when you've mm-hmm. done a hip replacement, when you do are going through childbirth, more than always they will do cesarean because uh, okay. they don't want you to further the hip yeah so for me I'm like yoga or pilates that's my jam because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying as much to natural to delay <laughs> that process from happening to be honest with you if it doesn't happen I'm perfectly okay with that too
0: yeah so. and then also with a general crisis like you know we have just like um chest back wrist leg like kind of um bone I guess pain do you is that completely gone with the stem cell treatment or you mentioned something about like mentally you're still kind of feeling or how is how is like
1: your body now? Right. So my triggers with sickle cells, still my triggers now, flight, stress, um, mm-hmm. dehydration. But what it is, is I'm not actually. I don't actually have. Uh, so I have 96 percent normal red blood cells and 4% sickle cells. Wow. So it's not like I can't have a crisis, but it's such a low number that more than nine out of 10 times, I'm not actually sickling, right? What's happened is over time, dealing with these kinds of chronic pain, especially bone pain, mm-hmm. I've developed something called chronic pain. And so for my chronic pain, I use like Tylenol. So I'm no longer on any opiates. Uh, I don't use opiates. With me. Now a Tylenol can work for me yeah. just fine. Um, Yeah, so all of the normal VOC areas, acute chest, lower back, Mm. those are all gone.
0: Wow, that's actually incredible. And so I know there was, so stem cell treatment, is this the same as the bone marrow treatment or is is it different?
1: Slightly different because the bone marrow, they would pull... Um, cells from your marrow, which means your donor would have to surgically go in and they put a needle in the base of their spine to pull out marrow. Mm -hmm. Stem cell, they do it through a process called apheresis. So if you've ever gone through like a blood exchange, one hand, Mm -hmm. they're taking the blood. It goes through a machine that pulls only the stem cells and returns all the other blood products back to the donor. And then those stem cells is what they then transfuse into me the way they would like when you're getting a a blood transfusion. So that's how they transfuse the stem cells. So it doesn't for my donor It didn't require any type of surgery. All they did was give him five shots over the course of five Mm -hmm. days. And then on the sixth day, they pulled out the stem cells. And then that's what I got transfused with. So it's a a much simpler, less invasive process now. So for bone marrow, it's more invasive. For stem cell, it's less invasive, Um, you know, and so you just do it. But I will share that both procedures require you to go through chemo and radiation. So I did have to go through both prior to transplantation. Yes.
0: And how long did the whole process um, take? Uh, Total was about three months. Wow. Okay, so that was including the preparation with the chemo and stuff like that. So it is quite. That was that's including
1: everything till the day of your transplant. And is that
0: available for most adults? Is this something because I, I think I'm I've never he- heard this in the UK. I've, I know one person who did like she fought for like years and she did it, but I think it was either the bone marrow one, which is normally for kids, but she was able to get it for adults. But other than that, there's like no other. So. A like kind of cure in this sense so is this something that is um done mostly in america or was this like kind of like a one kind of case where you thought about
1: it like you no. know so there are more of us now i say more of us like we're mutants um but there are more <laughs> transplant <laughs> survivors in the u.s uh-huh. so basically um here Stem cell transplants are available for even pediatric patients. So now they do them as young as age three years old. And it's also available for adults up until the age of 40. So if you're under 40 you can get a transplant for as long as you have a sibling donor okay. or um, one of your parents can be so for some people maybe if they're an only child mm-hmm. they will test your mom and dad and sometimes okay. your mom and dad are a half match but if you have a biological sibling same father same mother mm-hmm. oftentimes your mm-hmm. sibling could be a donor for you so in my case we're just two kids and my older brother was my donor but I don't think you're correct you're correct in that my cousin has sickle cell and he's in the UK and he said i've never heard yeah, of yeah, transplants yeah. being readily available but in the u.s we've even gone farther now you can do transplants and now they're doing gene therapy where you don't need a donor they're just what? editing your own cells yeah they're oh. silencing your own so what the gene that produces the, the sickle red blood cells they're turning it off now wow. and so people are going through i know two friends who had gene therapy during the pandemic and now they're cured yeah. oh
0: my god this is incredible that's one thing I have to kind of, like well I have to give it to like America they're quite ahead with like especially with like treatments and stuff like that because yeah definitely in the UK they're not offering anything like that like right. as, as, a, as far as a cure and the fact that like yeah. you're living proof that it's kind of it's worked and that you know other people that's really amazing especially for when the sickle cell is because I know like what people some people who don't know sickle cell they might think it's just all the same it's actually varies very differently there's people whose sickle cell was so so bad there's people where it's manageable so I think that should definitely be an option for when it's like really really bad cases as well
1: yeah to people that don't know I always say you know there are five types of sickle cell disease there isn't Mm -hmm. just one type so if we clarify that the you know the the variation in which we all feel the complications are of sickle cells vastly different. I always say sickle cell patients were like snowflakes. No two snowflakes are exactly alike. Um, And so in the U.S., what they've done now is I know for S.C., beta thal, and SS. Those are the three Mm -hmm. sickle cell types that they can now participate in a transplant. Mm -hmm. But also in the US now, I have a couple of friends who there are now five drugs for sickle cell. Mm -hmm. Um, For a long time, it was just hydroxyurea. Um, And now we have Adopheo, we have Oxbrida, we have endari. So there are a lot more disease modifying medications that you can take. And I have a friend who's been on Oxbrida. She hasn't had a crisis in like, like three years wow so there's so many more options now for patients here yeah
0: that's really good because I know in the UK hydroxyurea is like the main thing or the blood exchange and um it's kind of hit and miss like some people are like hydroxyurea is so good yes some people like I've, they've had like really bad complications and and stuff so it's always kind of yes. scary and just kind of understanding okay what's the best for my treatment and for me to kind of for me yeah, yeah. For like a manageable life um um but thank you so much for sharing about that because that's very important because it's something that I, I I'm even kind of like ignorant to it like within the stem cells treatment we will definitely look into it as well um, so why do you think there is such a lack of visibility and knowledge of sickle cell like still right now in 2023 that you can go somewhere and still people don't know about sickle cell
1: that's an easy question I think Um, The reality is this In healthcare there is racism and prejudice Mm -hmm. And I think the minute we all accept that that is The more progress we're going to be able to make A lot of people think healthcare is a safe space for all But the reality is no it's not Particularly for even like sickle cell warriors or patients of colors, They doubt our pain They don't believe us when we say something is really going on And I think... Literally, even if you talk about hydroxyurea, that drug was never created for sickle cell disease. It was created for cancer. And then they just found out that it worked for sickle cell. It was not created for us. And so I always share with people, I say, for over two decades, even the U.S., we're not making medical advancements or pouring money into research because they believed it only affected people of color. And what I always share with people is I can't wait for a time when people with blonde hair and blue eyes who live with sickle cell currently lift, elevate their voice and say, I have sickle cell too, because I think until we're able to show the lens that I, you know, I even told those that are close to me, sickle cell affects Asians. It affects people from Ukraine, from Greece. You know, I know a lot of people here who are, pale skin, fair, you know, hazel eyes who deal with sickle cell disease. So I think conversations need to change and we need to ask patients. We are the center of the healthcare ecosystem. Nothing moves without the patient, right? Doctors can't study anything without the patient. Biomedical engineering companies can't make drugs or equipment without us. And so I think (sighs) the more we leverage our voice, and raise awareness and show the gamut of the patient perspective. Like don't judge a book by its cover because no. there are a lot of people who are not black that have sickle cell disease. Until that happens, we won't start seeing a change. I even, I even go as far as saying I can't wait for the day when trait carriers join the conversation, because you can imagine if we had people that just had trait join us, there will be strength in numbers and the healthcare system, they wouldn't know what to do because they will start to see more and more people. And I think mm-hmm. now what makes me happy is with these curative therapies, a lot of biopharma is starting to invest in sickle cell research. Mm-hmm. Yes, they want to cure us, but the reality of the situation is the burden of sickle cell is, is cutthroat, right? Yeah, It's a financial burden to the family. It's a physical burden to the patient, emotional, mental, yeah. psychological. And I think now more companies are wanting to invest in sickle cell curative therapies because the reality is they recognize. Over the course of a patient's life, this is how much they spend. If we do this treatment for them, we will keep them out of the emergency rooms. So there is profit to be made. I always say even healthcare is a business within itself. If No one was going to profit off of it. So even with all of the pain medication, all of these blood transfusion, all of those things are run on, add on costs. And so for them, when they're making money, why would they do something to solve our problem? knowing fully well that once they solve the problem, then they lose money. Oh, so but that's fine. my hope is that I think, yeah. So my hope is that I think like as warriors, not only do we leverage our voice, I want to see things beyond social media. I want to see people imposing change on a national and a global level, putting yeah. policies in place so that we force the hand of healthcare providers yeah. to invest more money into research so that there becomes a universal cure that is not just available, but also accessible. For me, I want people in remote parts of the world to have access to these drug treatments and these curative therapies as well.
0: Yeah, and that's such an um, like such an important point. And I feel that, like exactly what you said about like how they're making money from it. So they're not trying to do the like financial, and stuff like that. I really feel the same with um cancer because like well, by now you would think like yes. I always say this like with my sister and stuff like like by now you would think that there would be a cure or something. But it's almost like they're they're withholding it because it's the it's making a lot of money. But I never thought about that with a sense of sickle cell. But now saying it, it's actually so true. Like it's actually very costly, the medication, everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an issue. And, and I, I feel like what you said about like global getting it global is so important. And I wish like more celebrities would talk about it, like how you mentioned about Prodigy, how he spoke about it. And I think there's so much celebrities, especially with African backgrounds, that can really speak right. up as their platform to really share and spread awareness and make a change. So what exciting projects are you currently working on?
1: So um, there are a number, but I think two come to top of mind. Um, So I've just been commissioned by the National Institute of Health, the NIH, which Mm -hmm. is also where I had my clinical trial of my transplant to produce a gene therapy podcast where we talk about all things gene therapy, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people aren't even aware it exists. Ah, People don't know medical research has gone as far as now You don't need a donor anymore because for a lot of people, they were like, well, if none of my siblings is a match or want to get tested, then I have to live with this disease for the rest of my life. And I always say sickle cell is a progressively debilitating blood disease. As you age, your symptoms and complications get worse. So we need to be able to now care for patients at a much younger age so some of the things i'm working on is on this gene therapy podcast Mm -hmm. i want to interview people who have participated but more importantly their family unit because a lot of these decision making it doesn't come from just you your family is also involved because they've lived with this burden along with you over the course of your life so i'm excited to work on that because i think um more importantly, a lot of doctors, a lot of researchers, they get stuck in all of the medical knowledge and Mm know-how that they haven't simplified things in a way that patients can understand it. And so my hope is that bringing my voice to that platform, will position it where more patients are like, oh, she explained it in a way that I get it. I get this now. And I'm curious enough to want to then look into it myself. Yeah. So.
0: Oh my God, I love that. And I'll definitely be tuning in because I really want to know more about gene therapy. Like I didn't, again, I didn't yeah. know it existed. And that's why it's so good to have like this conversation because I feel like I'm even, as a warrior myself, I'm learning about new things that could actually help me and and with my management of sickle cell. So definitely that sounds amazing. So what are your future goals just in general in life?
1: Okay. Well, right now, um, I'm seriously considering um, getting my master's in public policy and international development. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, all roads lead home. Um, I recognize my privilege. Mm -hmm. I recognize that I was born into a family where my parents could afford to send me to school abroad. Mm -hmm. But I do know that if I was born into a different family that was probably in a lower income household, Mm -hmm. these opportunities I've had would not exist. And so for me, my goal is on a policy level um and on a global level to really put pressure on these pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. so that they make these disease modifying therapies and curative therapies available yeah. globally. I want those people cuz I don't know if you know this but in Nigeria for example, particularly in the north, if you come from a low income household, they wouldn't even recommend hydroxyurea to you. Mm. That is not That's fair. Painful, yeah. That's a big problem. Um, I need all warriors and all families of warriors Mm -hmm. to be equipped with all of the knowledge that they need to better help their child succeed and thrive with sickle cell. And so my hope is that in my own way, with all of the work that I'm doing within the advocacy space, that I'm able to put pressure to make sure that biopharma, Mm -hmm. when they're considering these Um, treatments that they take it to regions where Mm. people don't even have the resources to know they exist and that they offer them to families. Because, you know, as we mentioned before, every patient is different. There are some patients who, by way of sickle cell, they're now having to do dialysis because it's impacted their kidneys. There are some patients who are dealing with lung issues because they've had acute chest so much. So for me, at the heart and soul of everything they do is... How can I make sure everything, the medical infrastructures and research that's going on in the U.S., how can I take it back home? Home being Nigeria, home being the African continent, because I always say Africa is the place where my heart beats the strongest through and through. My DNA is African. Mm -hmm. And so until those patients are prioritized, I'm still going to be on the front lines, leveraging my voice and my influence, because I know they need someone like me to do that on their behalf.
0: Oh god, I absolutely love that and it's such an honour to have you on the show. Learn about all the amazing, incredible things that you're doing and I know you're gonna achieve all these Mm. great stuff. So I look forward to hearing all the incredible things that you'll be doing and thank you so much for joining me. This podcast is sponsored by Dumabai, exotic couture women's wear clothing brand for the goddess in all women. If you're interested in a -a one-of-a-kind piece, Handmade to Perfection in London, then go over to our exclusive website at www.dominoblyfashion.com. There, you will find some unique, incredible pieces. 20% of all proceeds go to the Gideon's Treasure Foundation and all our initiatives, including this podcast and also free creative workshops for people living with sickle cell and other chronic illnesses. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you'll continue this journey with me. We will be discussing a lot of important topics and we'll have some incredible guest speakers joining to share their experiences. Please subscribe and like our Instagram pages atelier underscore zimmerby and Gideon underscore treasure. Feel free to leave a comment, ask a question and if you would like to be a guest speaker and show your story, please send me an email details in the episode description love you and god bless